Are you ready? Are you ready to read? Say get lit, get lit, darkly lit all the way. <laughs> I am, I am riled up and cheered and, and ready to go. I am thrilled. That was, that was exciting. <laughs> Welcome to Darkly Lit. I am your host, Kayla King. I am joined by my other co-hosts. Uh, we have Sade. Uh, sh- I don't know any cheers. I'm so sorry. Go whatever the team is. <laughs> Go Darkly Lit. Go the spooky candles. <laughs> That's team spooky our- candle. If we, were, if we were a football team, we'd be the spooky candles. We'd be the librarians. The shady side. Or the, sh- the shady side spooky candles. <laughs> And the shady side scented candles. <laughs> <laughs> and my other co-host, David King. Ow. Ow. <laughs> I'm being scalded to death. Ow. <laughs> Ow. This episode is going to be a little different. First of all, thank you guys for voting. I appreciate it. We're going to be discussing Fear Street by R.L. Stein. It's like Goosebumps... But for teens, I will get into that later. It's like Goosebumps, but with an actual body count. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to do this a little differently. Because the reason we chose to discuss Fear Street is because the new Netflix trilogy just came out. And they recently just released the first one last Friday. Uh, For us, it was last Friday. The second one will be out by the time this episode drops. I'm going to need more time to edit this and release it before we can see the second one. So uh, we'll just be discussing the first one this time. But um, so yeah, this is going to be a discussion of the actual Fear Street series itself. But we're comparing the movie that came out, Fear Street 1994, as well as the book that you guys has vote for, Cheerleader, The First Evil. (laughs) So here's another interesting thing too. I actually did read the book and watch the movie. Said saw the movie, but did not read the book. But I have good reasons. <laughs> yes. We'll get into that. David King read the book, but did not see the movie. I had work to do. So yes. you got to have a, a night where you could see the movie. Plus, you said it was really gory and shit. <laughs> I don't, I don't, ha- I don't handle that stuff so well. So, because of this interesting predicament, uh, we decided we're going to do this episode a little differently. We're going to have David explain the summary of the book, and Sade will explain the summary of the movie, and then we'll see if the the movie actually does fit the feel of a Fear Street book. Uh, what are the similarities? What are the differences? And maybe get an idea of what does it mean in terms of an adaptation. And then also because we did discuss Goosebumps um, in a previous episode, we will get into its comparison to Goosebumps as well. So this- I'll say it right now. Zero to ten. Not enough King Jelly Jam. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> 
David, why don't you describe the book of Fear Street, The First Evil? All right, I'll do the best I can. So Cheerleaders, The First Evil, is about cheerleaders and some evil. <laughs> now, keep in mind, the cheerleaders, most of the book is, seems to be about cheerleaders being low-key evil to each other and that mostly just being petty. But then later, like, there's some actual evil that happens. To get to the heart of the matter, though, we focus in on the town of Shadyside, which has a Fear Street. There are some implications that Fear Street is named after maybe a prominent family that has the last name of Fear. So I'm not sure about the specifics of that. I'd have to read more of the books. But our main characters are sisters Bobby and Corky. Uh, they are both described as being, you know, blonde and cheerleadery. And that they apparently have done this competitively. And back in their hometown in Missouri, they were able to carry their cheerleading squad to some sort of competition level. So having moved to Shadyside, they decide we're going to be cheerleaders at, the, at our new high school. It doesn't sit well with Kimmy, who is like basically the assistant captain of the cheer team, but it doesn't seem to bother the actual captain, Jennifer, who is described as looking like Julia Roberts. Weird, interesting choice. But... They make the team because they show off some cool stuff that they do, and uh, they get in there. Not everybody's crazy about them being on the team, but, you know, it's, 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 it happens. Anyway, things start to go really badly when there is a bus accident while they're driving to a rally. And for some reason, Jennifer is thrown out the open door of the bus, crashes into a tombstone at the Fear Street Cemetery, and apparently dies. But she's resuscitated a little while later and is bound to a wheelchair instead. Uh, some more stuff happens, some more drama happens between Kimmy and Bobby, mostly Kimmy and Bobby specifically. Feelings are hurt. Kimmy's ex-boyfriend Chip, who is a football player, starts trying to date Bobby. He freezes up mysteriously during a football game and gets tackled. There's some Goosebumps-esque cliff- or, or I should say R.L. Stein-esque cliffhangers that happen just about every chapter. The only reason I'm having a hard time summarizing this is because stuff just kind of happens and- it just flows for a long time. I think there's a turning point when the same sort of weird freezing thing that happens to Chip happens to Bobby when they're trying to get Kimmy to do a stunt with her about cooperation. And Kimmy falls and like sprains her wrist or maybe breaks it. I don't remember. Anyway, Kimmy, they all think that she did this deliberately because it didn't look like she was able to move. Oh, and also weird stuff has been happening ever since Jennifer fell out of the bus and onto the grave and seemed to apparently die and get wheelchair bound. But that's kind of in the background. But a lot of weird stuff happens to Bobby involving locker doors and weird noises and the fact that they live on Fear Street and blah, 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 blah. plot threads that go nowhere a lot of the time. Anyway, this incident causes the team to basically tell the team coach, we don't want, we don't trust Bobby. Clearly she let this happen deliberately. And even though no, she doesn't believe it, they're like, we want her off the team. So she gets kicked off the team. And while she's trying to basically recover from that in the shower, some weird supernatural shit happens and she gets scalded to death in the shower and dies. Her sister Corky finds out, grieves very hard for it, uh, through various circumstances learns that, or finds that a necklace that Kimmy wore in the shower room and thinks, oh shit, Kimmy murdered my sister because she's a bitch. But then she confronts Kimmy with it and Kimmy's like, I didn't, this isn't, I didn't, own the necklace at the time I gave it to Jennifer. But wait, how could Jennifer have this and how could it have fallen off? Well, the clasp is broken because it fucking sucks. <laughs> well, I better go figure out what the deal is with Jennifer then because it doesn't make any sense. But like 
Kimmy, you had a motive. You, like, hated my sister. I didn't hate your sister. By the way, she says this, but she totally hated Bobby. Like, it was really obvious. I'm pretty sure the text actually said, I hate that Bobby. She's such a fucking bitch. Anyway, one thing leads to another. Corky goes to find Jennifer, sees Jennifer driving the car, her own car around, which doesn't make any sense because she's supposed to be paralyzed. And they, she drives to the Fear Street Cemetery. And, oh, shit, Jennifer gets out of her car and she can walk. And she's doing cheerleading routines around the grave where she apparently fell during that bus accident that everybody got into. And Corky's like, yo, Jennifer, what gives? And Jennifer's like, I'm not Jennifer. I'm an evil spirit in Jennifer's body. <laughs> and yes, I immediately thought, oh, Jennifer's body was a movie. That's right. It was a movie. But, <laughs> but yeah, she's like, Jennifer died on, that t- on top of Sarah Fear's grave. And my spirit was able to occupy her corpse. And now I'm here and I'm just trying to get revenge on everybody Jennifer didn't like. And now I'm going to put you in the coffin, Corky. And then there's like a crazy thing where there's a dirt tornado and the grave opens and there's a coffin with a wormy skeleton inside. But then like, because she's a cheerleader, she uses her cheerleading skills to avoid being pushed into the grave. This is Corky, by the way. And Corky's able to basically choke jennifer until the evil spirit is cast out back into the coffin and gets sealed up again and jennifer rapidly decomposes into a corpse that's been dead for a few weeks and the police are like what the fuck and then one of them just shakes his head and goes it's fear street man this shit happens on fear street basically but then corky like i guess is okay with kimmy and her two friends that were like kind of kind of bitches to them because they were new and stuff and then it ends with a cliffhanger because Corky goes home and is like, still not going to bring Bobby back from the dead. And then she's in bed and she finds, oh no, it's it's Jennifer's pennant in her bed. Ah, uh, And that's the end. Before we continue into the summary, I want to hear Saint's first impression. What? <laughs> 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 like, I, I got a little lost at some point because I started to forget which ones were the sisters. Was Jennifer her... One of the sisters? Did she choke her own sister? The Jennifer was team captain. Okay. The alpha bitch. And she was the one who died and got possessed by the evil spirit. Okay. So Jennifer actually wasn't an alpha bitch. She was just a popular girl. No, Jennifer was fine. Oh, she was cool with them wanting to be on the team. Jennifer encouraged them being on the team. Okay, okay. Kimmy was the one who didn't want them on the team. She's like, Jennifer... We've been training. We have all this up. Why did they get a free pass just because they're blonde and good at cheerleading? Because Kimmy, they really make a distinction about how Kimmy is not blonde and not traditionally attractive, which I think is kind of, I don't know, unfair. Yeah. Um. There's some, there's some superficial bullshit that happens in here, which I guess is kind of expected in a story that feels like it's supposed to be about cheerleaders being vapid, but it also could be that R.L. Stein doesn't know how to write uh, teenage girls. So here's the difficult part with this book. With Goosebumps, I've noticed usually, yes, there's kid things that happen, but the focus of the story is always the horrific parts. And it's the kids' reactions to this. With teens, where it's in high school, I feel like he thinks, I need to focus on the drama. This is what teens want to see. And it's boring. It's, frankly, this book... The teen drama in this book was quite boring. And except for the parts when they started to flip out and attack each other, like when Kimmy attacked Bobby and tried to pull her hair. Oh, yeah. They actually got into, like, a fight. I wanted them to have a a fight. It would have been more cathartic if they had a fight, but they didn't. There was no redemption arc. She's just like, she says to Corky, Bobby's surviving sister, 
I didn't hate your sister. I just didn't like her. Bullshit. Every, so another interesting thing about this book too, is it switches perspective. Yeah. To be fair, say mm. I was thrown off a lot of the time too, because they kept changing perspective a lot. So it would like open up with like Bobby's perspective and then it switches to Kimmy's and then switches to Jennifer's. And it switches to Corky. Yeah. But it's weird because the focus, um, most of the focus is from Bobby's point of view, which is shocking when she dies. I'm not going to lie, but uh, I'll get into that later. I will say the parts I did like was, uh, the parts of the book I did like were when supernatural shit did happen. Yeah. Like her dying in the shower was actually pretty tragic because she's, she's scalded to death. Oh, yeah. I... She basically suffocates in the shower on the steam while she's being burned by the, the hot shower water, which she can't turn off. And the door won't open and she just collapses and dies. And Corky's the one who finds her body, which is she's described as looking red as a cooked lobster. I'm like, holy shit. I was surprised they would go there, but they did. Unlike Goosebumps, it goes there. It gets it gets pretty gruesome, actually, especially when they describe like the part where Jennifer, the evil spirit leaves Jennifer and jennifer's body decomposes i want more of that like that was the interesting part i was expecting there to be more murder yeah well okay i didn't expect murder i'm not gonna lie i expected creepy stuff creepy stuff because with arl stein i've only read his goosebumps books i've read one like ghosts of fear street book same about a haunted treehouse but i I remember enjoying it but i read one about a vampire or a kid who becomes a vampire but he's 13 or 12 so Mm -hmm. which is the typical age for goosebumps kids yeah these girls are 16 years old bobby's 17 i know that yes and i I think that's the problem it's so boring when it's just the drama that i don't care about I, i think what's tough about it too is like because it switches perspectives it's hard to follow like who's the main character who am who am i supposed to root for but then also every single girl Thinks in extremes. Like yeah. when Kimmy realizes Bobby becomes the new Chad cheerleader. I hate her. I will never forgive her. She deserves all the pain in the world. Like, jeez. She's just, and she is thinking this and in her plus, head. Plus, like, they're, they're always setting themselves up for failure in their writing. Because, like, when, it switched, when it's Kimmy's perspective about how she's expecting to be made uh, cheer captain because Jennifer is wheelchair bound now, mm-hmm. she's like, Everything was great. Nothing could go wrong. I'm like, really? Really? Really, R.L. Stein? <laughs> it, it was so on the nose, and it cracked me up, because you could see so many... Like, the moment that they drew attention to the fact that Jennifer was lying across a grave that said Sarah Fear, I was like, I know what's going to happen here. Like, I thought it was just going to be the ghost of Sarah, Sarah Fear possessing Jennifer's body, but... Apparently, Sarah, like, there's subtext that I think is interesting. I think Sarah Fear was being controlled by an evil spirit, too. The same evil spirit. And then they make a point that Sarah's grave is surrounded by four other graves with uh, people who died the same year as her. Which leads me to suspect that while under the possession of the evil spirit, Sarah killed, like, four people back in the 1800s. There's, I, I'm kind of more interested, and this is why I want to hear about the movie, I'm kind of more interested in the greater mythos of Shadyside mm. and of Fear Street than I am in this specific story. So from what I've been told, and from what I've gathered from the other Fear Street books, they're all set in the town of Shadyside, 
and there is a fear street and Sarah Fear is a ghost in this world. But I get the impression the evil spirit that came out of the coffin, the one that possessed Jennifer or took over Jennifer's dead body was not Sarah Fear. I don't know. I I, I get the impression it wasn't Sarah Fear because it acted like it had possessed Sarah. Like, are you Sarah? And she said, like, not anymore. Oh, like, not anymore. Like, I was when I was possessing her, but now I'm possessing this one, so I'm not Sarah anymore, kind of thing. Yeah, see, there's some interesting stuff, and I feel like in a more sophisticated narrative, it could be really interesting. So there's some interesting subtext, but the writing itself is very, well, it's Goosebumps-level writing, but aimed at teens, and so it feels kind of clunky. And, you know, there were parts I enjoyed, there were things in there, but it still reads like goosebumps and that it's, some parts of it still read kind of immature. Like, for example, Corky and Bobby have a dorky little brother named Sean. And, of course, he's the typical, like, annoying little brother you see in, like, teen sitcoms, you know? He's trying to pull pranks on them. But then again, the first thing that happens in the book is that Corky and Bobby, Bobby specifically, play a prank on Sean also- by leaving, a, a, like, a fake rat outside of his door. <laughs> by the way bobby and corky okay I, <laughs> wow and these are the names of our protagonists bobby i could see being a nickname for roberta or whatever yeah, that one's forgivable but what corky is it quirky or corky corky it, like, like c-o-r-k-y no no girl wants to be called <laughs> corky Everyone's going to start calling her Porky instead. Yeah. Oh, man. I wanted to hear some grade A bad teen novel insults, and we never got that. Not even, and here's the other thing. Even little brother Sean couldn't come up with good insults. He would just say, you stink. Smell you later. (laughs) This book really feels 90s. Like, there's moments in this where (laughs) you're like, oh, yeah. Comparing jennifer to julia roberts she's so beautiful she looked exactly like julia roberts (laughs) i think the funny part too is um so there's the point where the bus crashes and they're all panicking and my stupid brain thinks why isn't anyone calling their parents and i'm like oh yeah because there's no cell phones (laughs) it's so good oh my god that part the bus crash was weird too anyway I know someone asked a question about the bus crash, and we can get to that. Uh, I don't really have that much more to say about it. I just, there are some bits I liked, but mostly the supernatural stuff, and you and the, the horror is pretty scanty in this book. Most of it is kind of poorly written teen drama. Hmm. So it sounds like an adult man who writes horror wrote horror, and then an adult man who doesn't know shit about teenage girls wrote really terrible <laughs> teenage drama. Yes. That's the first evil. And apparently, again... This is the first of a series about this particular group of cheerleaders. Oh God. At the end of the book, there's a little blurb about the next one where Corky is now friends with Kimmy and the two other girls who were uh, Debbie and... Oh, no, or was it Deborah? It was Deborah and... I, I don't remember. They're Ro- all... Robbie? They're all, like, 90s names that, like... The way they described... Uh, Oh, Ronnie. Ronnie. It was Ronnie. Mm-hmm. The way they described Ronnie, I'm like, she's the cute one. <laughs> in my opinion. Isn't she also, like, the freshman? She's the freshman on the team. And she's the one who kind of gets pushed to the side when uh, Bobby and Corky join. And I felt bad. I actually, like, was like, oh, poor Ronnie. You, you get a little bit of her perspective and just, like, a smidge. I'm like, I'm rooting for you. I don't care what happens. I'm rooting for you. 
And then they didn't do anything with her. And I'm like, aw. But you set her up. See, there's all these little things that they get set up and they don't go anywhere. There, there's a lot of setups. Like, oh, the necklace keeps falling off. Or one of the girls is about to take a shower. And it does follow the whole Goosebumps thing where there is a twist at the end of each chapter. So it says this girl enters a shower and then she screams. Cuts to the next chapter. Ow. I got scalded by the water. We we should talk about get the plumber down here to fix this, which is a little bit of foreshadowing to what happens later. Yeah, but I love, I mean, it's always like that, like, then they heard a scream. It turns out it was just a prank, bro. Well, the first chapter even has that bit where Corky's going upstairs and sees Bobby hanging over the railing pretending to be dead, but they play it up like that. And then, of course, the next chapter, she looks at her and goes, Hey, don't freak out. I was trying to scare Sean. Well, and that was something that often didn't happen in Goosebumps books, too. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's they look dead or something horrifying has happened. Ha, gotcha. Yeah, it reads like a Goosebumps book, but I think Goose, the Goosebumps books tend to be more clever than this. But again, one of the things I'm kind of interested in, the thing that's tickling the back of my brain, is the Fear Street mythos. What is this place? Why is Shadyside as weird as it is? Because they even talk about pla- like places that exist in this world. Like As clumsy as some of the descriptions as, of the locations are, which doesn't seem to be super important, uh, they describe the burned-out mansion of Simon Fear at one point. They just pass it, and I'm sure it's a reference to another book or something that happened in another book. And I'm like, okay, I- I'm-, I'm marginally interested. Hmm. Not enough that I'd want to go out and read more Fear Street books immediately or anything, but... I'm sure Shadyside has a definite backstory there, which is probably what they're exploiting with the Netflix series. Well, or, I th- or focusing on, not exploiting. <laughs> but maybe it is exploitation. I don't know. It's, I mean, before we get into the Netflix series, let's answer this one question by uh, Urkelbot666 or Dan. Thank you. Dan. Hi, Dan. He asked, did the bus accidents read okay to you? I felt like the description of the actual accident didn't make sense to me with Jennifer going out the door and winding up dead. Yeah, that confused me too. I understood what happened, I think, but the description was hard to follow. So, yeah, I I felt exactly the same way. Did you feel like that, Kayla? I feel like I've been really dominating the conversation about this this book. I want to know what you thought of this bus accident. (laughs) Um, because it seems really dumb. The, <laughs> the, it, the setup for it. it. It is hard for me to. It was hard for me to picture, especially when it was like turned upside down. And I, I, my assumption was like, did she fly out the emergency door? I'm confused. But uh, I mean, I got it. I got the idea. So, so at that point, I was just like, okay. I think I became more concerned at that point with like, did they kill a character? Did Arlstein kill a girl? what and then it cuts to the next chapter and she is appears to be alive in a wheelchair and i'm like of course you coward it wasn't until later on i realized oh no arlstein went there (laughs) he he actually killed characters dang this one has a defined body count of two two teenage girls are killed in this novel Hmm. I'll just say, I think what threw me was just Jennifer's at the front of the bus trying to make announcements to everybody. The bus bounces and skids and the momentum throws. And because the dumb bus driver has the the door to the bus open to try and defog the windshield, she just, he like skids and the bus hits a thing and it causes her to like fall out the open front door, which is kind of nuts. Anyway, that's there. And then the rest of it's just kind of weird. And the, placing is odd so yeah dan i 
it's weird. It is honestly kind of weird. In all honesty, I think the best part of it is the last part of the book. Yeah. The the gru- the gruesome parts, the horror parts are good. Grave dirt tornado. Oh yeah, I love the description of like now you're going into the grave and then it shows like this horrifying looking skeleton. I'm like, dude, this is what I wanted more of. Why didn't we get this? Luckily, we did get some of that in the movie. <laughs> okay. This is my terrible segue into the movie Fear Street 1994. Say, do you want to give the description for this one? Sure. I feel like I've already forgotten a good chunks of it, but I will recall what I do remember. Um, and there is a little, there is definitely teenage drama in this too. And I think one of the characters was a cheerleader and the other one banned. Is that right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you kind of had some cheerleader drama. Okay. So I think if I remember correctly, the movie opens up with the main character, Dina? Not yet. It actually opens up with a minor character who we don't care about. Oh, okay. Well, it opens up with, like, the girl working in the mall and she gets killed by a dude in a skeleton costume, essentially. So it opens with a red shirt. Yeah. But the story really starts with Dina, who's in her room, and she's writing not a love letter, but, like, a hate letter to someone named Sam. Um, so we're like, oh, okay, bad breakup. And she goes to school with a box of Sam's things. And is trying to get her friend to take it with him to a rally of sorts. It was actually, I think, a memorial for the red shirt that died in the previous scene. But, like, the football team has to be there and, like, cheer squad has to be there for it, I guess. So she's trying to get her friend Kate to take this box of Sam's things to Sam who will be there. But Kate is like, no, take it yourself. Uh, Kate is also, I guess, the pretty, but also smart, like, good grades, top of the class, but, like, well-liked and popular, but is also selling drugs. And she's, <laughs> was she dating or just friends with the guy? What was his name? I can't remember. Um, he was pretty cool, but I, they weren't dating. I think they were only just friends. All right. Well, they're friends with this dude who's who's a little weird and kind of goofy and kind of dumb. Uh, and I, so Kate is, I think, best friends with him because I don't think they were dating. And they pretty much convinced uh, Dina that she has to go. They don't want anything to do with her breakup nonsense she has to go and deliver the box herself so she goes to the memorial with them because she's in she just quit band but she still has the universe uniform and so she shows up and we get this this shot this was actually pretty clever and i appreciate it because i actually got a reaction out of kayla and i when we were watching it uh we see dina look over so it's like two school teams are there uh we have shady side uh, which is where Kate and Dina and their friend are, are from Shadyside. And then we have Sunnyville, who are also attending the memorials. It's like Sunnyville football team and their cheer squad. And we see, um, we look over at the Sunnyvale team and we see this blonde dude uh, with this cheerleader girl. And we're like, oh, that's Sam. Because uh, Dina is very clearly upset to see this couple and there's some butt grabbing on the cheerleader and it's so gross double butt grabbing not just like one ass cheek it's both ass like cheeks reach, like a full reach, reach around reach both yep. hands grabbing them cheeks yeah <laughs> damn in public yes fuck so dina's like fuck this and so she kind of walks away with the box and she i think she went to get a smoke away from everybody uh when the girl who was getting her butt grab walks up and we discovered that that is Sam, not the dude. And we were both like, yes, yes! 
Look. <laughs> uh, so we learned that Sam recently moved away from Shady Side to Sunnyville, and it was actually Dina who like broke up with her because she felt like Sam was like trying to get away from her, like deny who she was, and all this nonsense, teenage drama. That sounds like the rationale of Fear Street yeah. teenagers. And then, so while they're like having their moment of like you left me and like whatever drama uh a fight breaks out during the memorial between the two opposing schools kate gets punched in the face elbowed in the face i like kate she was cool um so shady side is heading back home on the bus and kate's kind of rallying them all up and then a couple of dudes from sunnyville which included sam and her new boyfriend are like following the bus and dina sees sam and she gets pissed and so they get the idea of opening that back door the emergency escape that's at the back of the bus and like they were gonna dump the contents of their water cooler onto the car but uh the bus swerves or something happens and the whole cooler falls out causing the car to like swerve and go into the woods and hit some trees and this is the part this actually was i was reminded of this when david was telling his summary because sam uh, well, she doesn't fall out of the car, but she stumbles out of the car onto what we learn later is a grave of a witch. And there's a history with Sarah Fear. And we also learned, um, I think I glossed over that uh, Dina has a little brother who's really into like the history, like the morbid history of uh, Shadyville. Because um, we learned that that killer who was who killed the red shirt at the mall and a bunch of others was like one of like many over like decades. And so we get, like, this brief, like, history of seeing all these, like, different, like, killers. And it's just, like, Shadyville's reputation that, like, someone, some town person always seems to go crazy and goes on a killing spree. So Sam gets taken to the hospital and Dina goes home. Everybody goes home. But then the guy in the skeleton costume shows up outside of uh, Dina's house. And Dina thinks it's Sam's boyfriend continuing to be an asshole. And then it's later revealed. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm trying to remember everything. So Dina's at home and the dude shows up and then leaves and it ends up breaking into Kate's place. And she's with her friend. I figured his name. Simon. Simon. Okay. She's with Simon. They like call him out and being like thinking that it's the, the douchey boyfriend they're like hey what the hell man and like he leaves the dude the skeleton dude runs away and then they're like well what the fuck this guy's like being an asshole let's go looking for him and they go to the hospital where sam is to like confront her and her to like be like your boyfriend's a shitty asshole pretty much let's do more drama and fight but the skeleton dude shows up there and kills the shitty boyfriend and then they're running, and more people at the hospital died, and, like, Simon wanders away from the group, and they this stumbles across this girl sitting on the sidewalk singing, and he's like, you okay? And then she attacks him and, like, tries to kill him, and then we, like, realize, oh, she's one of the killers from the past. Essentially, it boils down to... Sam fell onto Sarah's grave and now has been marked, and all of the previous killers... Um, including the most recent one, which was some kid named Ryan, and he was killed uh, at the scene of the crime. He's also back from the dead, along with all the other previous killers, and they're all after Sam to kill her, supposedly because she disturbed Sarah's grave. And they do, like, attempt at one point to just kind of, like, rebury her, and that doesn't work. 
um, and they realize that uh, they're after Sam because, like, when the accident happened, Simon got a little bit of her blood on her, and Dina got a little bit of her sh- blood on her shoe, and that's why the skeleton guy had, like, gone to their houses but then left because um, it was looking for Sam that whole time. And so they're trying to figure out how they can save Sam, and they try killing all of the past uh, murderers by locking them in a bathroom and, like, incinerating them. But that doesn't work, because they, like, they, like, from, like, burned char goo, they, like, reform. And they try to contact a girl who had survived one of the killings years ago, back in, what is it, 70s, 60s, where the next movie takes place? 1978. Yeah. But they aren't able to reach her, and the, but then they figure out on from the newspaper that she had died, but then was resusc- resuscitated. So they think Sam needs to die, and if they can bring her back, then they won't uh, try to kill her anymore. So the rest of the movie is like, hey, we're going to make you overdose. Oh no, we were interrupted by the killers before you could take the last batch of pills. Let's drown you in the lobster tank. Yeah, they go to a store to do it. Oh, yeah, they're <laughs> at a grocery store. store cause Simon works at a grocery <laughs> store. Kate is killed and put through a bread cutter. Simon gets an axe to the head. Uh, the little brother survives. Dina survives. Kate gets drowned in a lobster tank, but then is brought back with multiple adrenaline shots, like EpiPens and some CPR. And then they're like, oh, hey, yay, we did it. The killers are gone. And then it. The Dina gets a call from the survivor who was like, no, it's not over, like, you know, foreboding, warning, and then uh, Sam is possessed uh, into becoming, like, another killer and tries to kill Dina, and Dina, like, ties, hog ties her with a phone cord, which most people listening to this probably don't know, like, the super long curly phone cords that landlines used to have that is actually probably long enough to hog <laughs> Um <laughs> And so they're like, shit, we gotta figure out how to save her, which I guess is gonna lead, leads into the next movie, where they're, I think they're gonna go to that survivor from 78 who's gonna then tell her them their story, and so the movies might be just one giant flashback. I feel like they're going, considering they're all going backwards in time based on the dates, like, eventually we're gonna go back and figure out what happened to Sarah. Mm-hmm. Which I mentioned to Kayla after we finished watching, which is interesting to me, which why what made me really curious about seeing the whole trilogy, because I thought they had, they would start at the very end, or at the very beginning, uh, in 66, 1666, and then move up. But now they're going backwards, so I'm curious to see how they'll do that, unless it's like both movies are giant flashback, which is less interesting, but yeah. And that was my awful summary of a movie I forgot most of. <laughs> okay, David, what's your, before we give our summary, what's your opinion? I'm a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I don't think it's your fault. Uh, I definitely don't think it's your fault. I think you tell it well. I'm just trying to figure out what the deal is with these killers because it seems like they kill random people, but then they kill anybody who... Their, their MO is that they kill anybody who disturbed Sarah's grave. Well, okay, so I guess what it was is throughout Shady Side's history, uh, someone would eventually kind of like just s- snap or just like suddenly like start killing people. Right. Um, for, for no reason at all until they were then killed themselves, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
And so that just happened. I don't know what the intervals were, but just like over over the decades, this would happen. And the reason they all came at once this time was, I guess, to kill Sam, who disturbed the grave. Okay, so this is like there's another part to this cycle that we don't fully grasp yet because this is more about, oh, Sam, you done fucked up. And now every killer is back from Mm -hmm. the dead somehow to kill you because Sarah is a very light sleeper in the grave. Mm Mm-hmm. As, as far as we know, the, the the killer who was at the mall, the most recent one, probably wouldn't have come back if, like, the incident at the grave hadn't happened. Okay. Interesting. We don't have any reason to think that all the killers have come back before this. Okay. I'm kind of intrigued, but not as much as I anticipated. I don't know. Maybe? I mean, it was... I think it's worth a watch if you're, like, curious about shady sides kind of lore and, like, how... So we might... Unless you're going to start reading a whole bunch of Fear Street books, this is probably where you're going to get most of any lore. I could always just Wikipedia. <laughs> that I'm is sure also true. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure out there there is a Fear Street wiki where they put together all the lore and you could read succinctly, like, here's the history of the Fear family. Here's what actually happened to Sarah Fear. Here's what book it took place in. You know, that way you can get the fundamentals without having to, like, guess which Fear Street books to pick up and read, so. So from what I've gathered in terms of comparison, the focus is on the teens. That's true. We mm-hmm. The teens, each, uh, from what, and also from what I've gathered for the movies and the upcoming ones, each of the protagonists are always going to be, like, teenagers in high school. Another thing, too, so there is teen drama in both the book and the movie, But I think the movie, the teen drama works to move the story forward. Mm -hmm. It feels legitimate. Like the reason these people feel these things makes sense. It makes sense why Dina feels hurt. It makes sense why Sam would feel hurt. That sort of drama is palpable where this is just beyond petty kind of this is how teen i think teenagers act where yeah the drama in first evil just feels in the movie yeah there's drama but you kind of understand the reasoning for it and the characters are a little dramatic about it but they are still teenagers so they are going to be dramatic whereas when you were describing like the the drama in the book it made me think of like Tinkerbell, where they can only experience one emotion at once. <laughs> it basically is. It really is. At one time kind of thing. And I want to point out, I did, this didn't get mentioned, but Kayla, you know what I'm talking about. When Bobby kind of starts to suspect that something weird is going on and she thinks she's going crazy, like this is after she froze, after uh, she thought she saw in the shadow of a window Jennifer walking around. She's like, wait, that's impossible. Jennifer is in a wheelchair. And then all the other weird supernatural things she's been kind of experienced. She goes to Corky. Corky's like, I don't believe you. They get in a shouting match and Corky's like, I hate you. I hate you forever. And then, of course, they put that in there. It's just like one emotion that feels extreme out of fucking nowhere. And it's and then, of course, they say, like, if Corky had only known this was the last time she would speak to her sister alive. I'm like, oh, my God. Burying the lead. Why don't you, R.L. Stein? Like, my God. Yeah, it's... It just feels immature where, again, yes, the drama is extreme in the movie, but like I mentioned before, there's good reason for it. And it does progress the story forward. And I do care about these characters. Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. 
there's a lot of parts in the movie that are kind of dumb. <laughs> like one of the things I've, I realize is they really try to nail it in that there's a fucking witch's curse on this town. Like it's almost insane. Like the first 10 minutes is just, did you know there's a witch's curse? You know there's a fucking witch's curse. If you go into the girl's bathroom, someone put in, like wrote a whole statement in um, spray paint of like, the witch will come after you. Da, 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 da. I'm like, who has the time for this? Also, the amount of like needle drops with the music was um, <laughs> something else. Just like, yeah. Here's one thing though um, that the book does have over the movie, but this is just because the book was written in the 90s, so it does feel like a book set in the 90s, where this movie could have really been set at any time in modern day and it wouldn't matter but it feels like hey do you know these 90s songs you remember these 90s songs look at how many 90s songs appear i wonder if that was like something in like like that came about in editing where now that i think about it like aside from like the younger brother typing up on what looked like the first version of AOL. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie, it, even like fashion-wise, I it doesn't feel too much like the 90s and like if you compare it to something else from Netflix like Stranger Things where you just need to like look at a few screenshots, it's like, yeah. Okay. That's that's this decade where like this one was I mean, we grew up in the 90s, so I feel like we would recognize it if we looked at it right away, but it, I didn't get that feel. It was really just the music that was, like, in your face. This is the 90s. Yeah, and I'm with you. A lot of the style choices in this doesn't feel 90s. Like, the way these kids dress does not feel 90s. It feels like today's modern callback to 90s. It's the Stranger Things effect. Well, (sighs) Stranger Things, at least, you feel like it's the 80s. You look at them and you're like, yeah, they're clearly in the 80s. Or at least how it feels like a love letter to 80s movies because it has the feel of, a, of an 80s movie. Mm. That's not the case here, though. Yeah. Like, if you took a screenshot from the movie, you would not have guessed, like, oh, yeah, this was totally in 1994. <laughs> Although, I feel like Josh would totally have been um, a fan of uh, true crime podcasts if he were in modern day. <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty, I think I definitely enjoy Goosebumps more than I enjoyed Fear Street. Now, is that because you read Goosebumps as a kid and thus it was a much more enjoyable experience and now you're reading Fear Street as an adult? Or I feel like if I, because I didn't read a lot of Goosebumps as a kid, you think I would have, but I didn't. I didn't start reading until much later. For enjoyment, I didn't start reading until much later. And like reading either of them, like now I'm like, I don't want to do this. Why are you making me do this? Which is not the reason why I didn't read the book this time. We haven't addressed why I didn't read the book. And it wasn't because I just copped out again. Why didn't you read the book? I could not get a copy of it. Because my library physically did not have a copy of it. And they did not have an online copy of it. And we went looking online for a version online. Which we did find, but not until it was a few days ago. At which point I have too much stuff going on to read. Yeah, and then anytime we we look to like purchase it, it was ten dollars. Yeah, and I was like, we're not gonna pay money for this. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not worth ten dollars. You could buy this for fifty cents. <laughs> yeah, and oh, I also was like, well, if I can find it for like a buck fifty at my used bookstore, they didn't have it either. Now I- I've heard like there are other 
better Fear Street books. Mm. I'm surprised this one won. But then it it barely beat out New Girl. And I think New Girl is... We did see uh, the cover of New Girl, I think, in the movie. Yes. I think we also may have seen a cover of First Evil as well. Because I was like, wait, I think I recognize that book. (laughs) But the reason I say Goosebumps is better than Fear Street, or at least this Fear Street book I read, is because... I think R.L. Stein writes kids better than he writes teens. At least from what I've gathered. Maybe his other book, the other Fear Street books are better. Maybe it would be better if it's a mixture of both uh, the focus between uh, male and female teens rather than just, this is a very female teen-centric book. And like you said, it's being written by an adult man. And not just that, an adult man who had a son growing up, not a daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, when you use kids instead of teenagers, I do feel like with kids, and this is probably why a lot more authors tend to use magical stories focusing on kids, is because we don't have that extra drama of crushes and, um, I mean, of course there's always like crushes, but like going on dates and puberty and stuff like that that doesn't become as much of a focus when you're a kid. With a kid, it's just your job is to live life. It, it also has much more of an effect on a kid. Like, when you see a kid endangered, you're like, holy shit. Well, you can put yourself, and especially when you're a kid reading Goosebumps, you can be like, whoa. Usually you recognize that it's just kind of doofy. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I'm not saying the the original Goosebumps books are by any means good. No, no, no. They're still They're still, it's silly. the same kind of it's... weird clunky writing. But for some reason, I guess maybe we're more forgiving because it's about kids. And also there's, yeah, there maybe is a bit of nostalgia goggles attached to it. But that being said, I think the ideas are a little more creative in Goosebumps because the kids aren't interested in the drama that teens are. They don't want that. They mm-hmm. want scary monsters and ghosts and dangerous situations and adventure. I think you could also, when you're writing for a kid, you could be a little more, like, creative in, like, the crazy stuff that happens, like, giant jelly monster and slaving campers, you know? Whereas, if you're writing for teenagers, they are more intelligent, they are going to be, you know, a little more realistic in how they view the world, so. Yeah. Now, I know for a fact that R.L. Stein did write teen horror before he wrote for Goosebumps, so he's been doing teen novels longer. And maybe it could be just the book itself. I mean, it could it, be just First Evil. I don't know. I do think um, there is still that kind of clunky writing. But maybe First Evil just wasn't a good one for us to read. Will we read more to find out? No. <laughs> Probably not. But I think the one thing that Fear Street does have going for it, as you mentioned, David, is there is this kind of interesting mythos with this town of Shadyside and this... Fear Street itself. Fear Street itself and Sarah Fear and what's her effect on the town. And that does come into play in the movie and I'm glad they do have a focus on it even though it's very like, hey, did you hear about the curse? You know there's a curse, right? We're the Shadyside witches. Isn't that really on the nose? (laughs) They were the tigers in the book. Yeah, they were. You know what's funny though? You know what this reminded me of? What? Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the movie. Sarah Bellows. <laughs> the ghost of Sarah Bellows will get you. Anyway. Yeah. Do we... I'm saying, I'm saying just in terms of, like, the emphasis on the dark curse and everything. And the... Yeah. Yeah. 
we don't really have any other questions. Although Dan did ask that he learned that Arlstein wrote for Eureka's Castle. <laughs> I didn't know that. Did you? <laughs> I did not know that. I did. That's, I did too. That's because I actually read a, uh, a long time ago, I read a book about Arlstein, his autobiography, or no, it's just biography. He didn't write it. Uh, called It Came From Ohio. Interesting story. It gives a little insight into uh, how Arlstein grew up, how he came into writing and such. Um, so I did learn that he wrote for Eureka's Castle. And actually one of the cute things he did was, um, I forget the bat's name, uh, but he would like bump into walls and said, I, I meant to do that. Uh, apparently his son, Matt, would do that. <laughs> like as a kid, he would bump into things. And he goes, I meant to do that. <laughs> and that, I thought that's cute. That's, and that's especially neat because uh, I was very young when Eureka's Castle was airing. So I basically I was the target demographic for that show at the time. So I grew up with uh, Eureka's Castle. Any final thoughts? Go team. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stand on people's graves if you can avoid it. You'll either get cursed by a witch or your dead body will get possessed by an evil spirit who possessed said witch. I still don't know if Sarah... I don't know if Sarah here was actually a witch. I don't know. The movie Mythos sounds like it might be different. Doesn't matter. Fear Street. It's a place. It's a place <laughs> in your mind. Uh, uh, hey, can we talk about what we're doing next month? Yes, we can. Because I'm excited. You're, we're finally reading what David's been begging for us to read. We will be reading Saw Kill Girls by Claire Legrand um, for our August episode. I mean, you all kept talking about lesbians in this one, so, I mean. And this time, we actually get to read a lesbian horror story. Yeah. Woo! Hey, thanks for joining us for this episode. If you like what you hear on this particular one, or any episode at all, you can check out this and other shows like this on creativehorror.com. Shows like Undercooked Analysis, The Witching Hour, Midnight Marinara, Trick or Track, and many more. Except I don't know if there are many more. There will be, hopefully, someday. Feel free to send us suggestions for things to read, too. You can email us at darklylitpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at darklylitpod. And that's the, those are the main places to reach us currently. Or, hey, you can just reach out to either of, any of us and say hi. You can, If you're a patron, you can join our Creative Horror Discord, a patron of either uh, The Witching Hour or Midnight Marinara. We yep. have conversations there. A lot of our voting uh, and s- s- topics of conversation take place there. But if you, wa- you want to be part of the discussion as mentioned before, or share with us something you'd like us to read at some point, those are the places to reach out to us. We actually had our movie screening of Fear Street 1994 on the Creative Horror Discord. So, yeah, if you want to join in on um, movie nights with us, uh, feel free to join our Patreon for Midnight Marinara. Hell yeah. Um, I, I don't have it in me for another cheer. <laughs> That's that's okay. You you raised our spirits and turned what could have been a very short episode into a much longer episode. But I think our team spirit is starting to waver. I think we should hit the shower. <laughs> what do you think? As long as the door doesn't lock. Okay. Oh God, this water is so hot. Ow. Ow. <laughs> Help. Ow. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinara, and this podcast is part of creativehorror.com, 
a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com. Ha, 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 ha.